Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Coffee Code Cast, a weekly live stream tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee or code. I'm Kyle Johnson. And I'm Mike Sheehan. Welcome to the cast tonight. Today on the podcast, uh, bad news for bubbly water fanatics, most of you tech folks. LaCroix shares take a dive, but don't worry. The tech drink of choice isn't going away anytime soon. And it wouldn't be a Coffee Codecast without some more Tesla news. Kyle fills us in on the latest supercharger tech. And our main topic today uh, discusses reorganizing your tech team. So we're going to take a look at some tried and true strategies to let you know how you can give your group's productivity a boost and even help your company's bottom line. If you're listening live, hit us up on our interactive Slack channel at coffeecodecast.com slash live or tweet us at coffeecodecast. Whew, we made it through that. Hey, let's get right off uh, started with some follow-up, shall we? Let's do it. So first off, yeah, I do want to give a shout out to my good friend, longtime uh, family friend of mine from Omaha. We were neighbors as kids, so like I knew her when she was in diapers and kind of funny ties into the other story that's later on down here but um but yeah like we were what were we doing last week i was in arizona and you were looking around online and noticed that there was some feedback well we've been doing a little looking around to see how we can market the show a little bit how we can uh, get it out to a larger audience right 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 and part of that when i was researching i happened to find another podcast app and the podcast app itself has its own review section that don't necessarily get forwarded to us like we don't get to see them Unless we're members of the app. Yeah. So Kristen, uh, I get a friend in Omaha and uh, sorry about that. Sorry about the snub on CastBox because uh, Kyle sent me the comments last week and I looked back at the dates. It was like from August 8th or something like that. (laughs) From the bad shows. Hope she's still listening. Well, and I've seen her a few times since then, too. I saw her at least uh, over the holidays and she didn't say anything. She was still very nice about it and asking me how the cast was going and what what we were up to. And so I feel very badly um, that you sent out some comments and we just kind of snubbed you there. So we'll keep better tabs on that. But if that happens to you, just hit us up on Twitter and slap us around and say, what the hell's going on? Cause um, that's really not our intention. We're definitely looking to your feedback and want to hear from everybody. So sorry about that, Kristen. But um, yeah, she sent a few things. Like she said something about, um, I think we were talking about Amazon trunk deliveries. Like this is way back in the day. Um, and so she she had mentioned um, a South Park episode, right? That talked about the it was the Bane episode where he had the like the face mask on and, <laughs> and the UPS man they beat his ass because he was like messing with their wives, like hooking up with their wives, right? <laughs> Fucking hilarious. So I watched that clip, and um, she had made a comment also just about uh, I don't. It was about insurance. I think we we're talking about insurance on one of the episodes and liability and. She brought up an old uh, old story from my freshman year of college. So, yeah, <laughs> one of those moments. It was just a terrible. So I was I was in school in Nebraska. I went to Creighton. I'm a Creighton grad and had lived in Nebraska previously. But then we all moved to Denver as a family back in '95. And um, so you know, I was still what. Went, went to college and, and I graduated in 2000. So basically I was, I, we had left Omaha, we were in Denver and I got a scholarship to go around cross country at uh, Creighton University. And I got this little like Nissan Sentra stick car that I'm driving. No, it was before then even. It was like some old, I had some old beater car and we're driving out and I'm following my parents basically. So like they have shit loaded in the back of the car and then I've got stuff loaded in the back of my car. We make it halfway. We're like, we're in North Platte, Nebraska, and fucking, we're barely, to, not even North Platte. I think we're still in Julesburg, Colorado. We're on 76, and the fucking car dies, and don't know what's going on. It's overheating and all this stuff, and so we leave, We have to abandon the car in this little podunk town just right outside the Colorado-Nebraska border on I-76, and long story short, like, we consolidate things. We have to go get the car later. We're going to leave it there to get fixed put whatever shit I need from my car into my parents' car. We make it all the way to Omaha. And when we see Paul and Teresa, like that's Kristen's parents, you know, we were good family friends from back in the day when we lived there. And so Paul had a pickup truck, like a Ford F-250 and I'm driving this little compact car. So like, I'm not a pickup truck guy. I mean, you can probably imagine, like I'm not used to driving bigger vehicles, 
And so he felt bad for me. He's like, oh, fuck, man. Like your cars, you're, you know, you're going to college. You don't have your car here. Why don't you just borrow my truck for a few days? And so I've got this like extended cab, like fucking F-250 that he gives me the keys to. And uh, it's like, okay, man, I'll take good care of it, you know, for the week until my car's repaired. And thank you so much. Well, fucking 30 minutes later, dude, like I'm driving down town. I'm on 24th Street, like right by the McDonald's down there by campus. And I'm, I'm on Cumming Street, I believe. And it's like a one-way street. And there's like three lanes. And I'm in the middle lane. And I got to make a left-hand turn really quick. And so I look in my mirror and I don't see anything. So I hang a left. And there's this fucking little compact car that's in the left lane that it was out of my field of view. And I basically just cut that fucking car off. And it drove right into the side of his truck. <laughs> and so I call... So I'm like, this is 30 minutes after he gives me the keys to his truck and I'm going to take care of it. And it's been blessed, you know, like everything's going to be fine. 30 minutes later, I'm downtown and I fucking wreck his truck pretty fucking bad. Like there's a hole in the floor I can see his <laughs> truck. and I'm freaking out. And the girl that I hit's freaking out and the baseball, she was on the softball team and the coach was fucking pissed off and all this stuff. And so I just remember calling him and, and I said, Paul, he's, and he's, he's a very, like my father, like a very type a personality. Like you don't want to piss him off, man. Like. He'll do anything for you. He'll have your back. You know, he did a, he, he's, he's an incredible man, but if you piss him off, like you don't want to be in his path. And so I was terrified, not about the car getting erect, but about what he was going to do to me after the whole fucking thing happened. And I just said, um, oh yeah. And I, so I called him up on the phone. And I just go, Hey Paul, uh, don't rip my nuts off, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrecked your truck. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like I think he was he was a bit in shock. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? What happened? And I explained the whole story. And you know, we laugh about it now. Like, we got the the truck got totaled, unfortunately. But the funny part about that, and I'll speed it up a little bit here, is that like the next week when I had to go pick up my car in Julesburg, he and I went out to go pick it up in that truck. <laughs> and so the floor still had a seam in the in the bed of the truck, and you could see like sunlight coming up. And then there were other problems like where the battery, we had to like replace the batteries because the alternator was bad and all kinds of shit happened. But we made it back to Omaha with a, a healthy compact car that I ended up selling and he got a new truck and life went on. I love that story too, because like that's the prototypical thing that you think of the Midwest, right? The guy, the old dude in the old like rusted out truck and like he's like driving down the freeway and like throws his shit out the hole in the floorboard or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. And for like, and the thing is like, yeah, he had an older pickup truck before this one too. And I remember when, as a kid, when we were neighbors, um, like the window crank on the driver's side, didn't, if the handle fell off. And so his solution was he had some vice grips that he like <laughs> just left put on some there. vice grips on there. And so if you wanted to roll the window up or down, you just fucking grab the vice grips. Yep. Dude. Yeah. Old school farm. I mean, the know, only mentality. thing you could have done better than that is maybe just like put your screwdriver on, you know, your Pretty electric. Much. <laughs> Pretty much, dude, exactly. <laughs> Little power power <laughs> windows improvised. Thankfully, he didn't rip my nuts off that day, and uh, we still remain really good friends, you know, good friends with those guys. They're like my dad's best friends, and and so we see them when we go back to Omaha. But, yeah, that was a terrifying time because my dad was pissed, of course, that just the fucking car he had a problem on the way out there, and then the whole thing it was kind of a mess. <laughs> it's a good story. I love it. So, yeah. So anyway, like to wrap that up, Kristen, thanks for reaching out to us and uh, sorry about the snub. But uh, if it happens again, you just send me a text and let me know and we'll make sure we get you on the air and we talk about it or whatever. So moving on from getting your nuts ripped off. Boom. What's going on, dude? Well, Tesla got their nuts ripped off as well. Uh, Tesla news. Tesla follow up news. I mean, I'm, I'm injecting Tesla does, everywhere. Does that mean that it's not the only news we're going to hear today about <laughs> possibly? I'm not going to say. You have to stick around to, uh, to find out. Oh, my God. That's, a, that's, that's a tease. That's exciting. I don't know if it's a tease anymore. <laughs> it might have been like eight months ago. All right. Well, <laughs> Tesla, uh-oh, the wife is calling. Is somebody calling you right now? Have her call on here, man. Put her on the air on the Bluetooth. A FaceTime call, too. Okay. Oh, boy. Can we wire her in on the Bluetooth? Do you, are you hooked up there? <laughs> I don't think I'm hooked to the Bluetooth. That'd, oh. be, that'd be fun. All right. We'll see if she calls back. Okay. Uh, Tesla reverses course. So last week we talked a little bit about them. What were they doing? I already forgot. Oh, they're going to close their showrooms. Right. That was the big announcement, but there was a big backlash. That's right. People, well, even we talked about it on here. I don't, I didn't know how well that would really go over, you know, like people, 
usually want to go into a showroom to see, you know, that sort of thing. It wasn't even that, buddy. Like, I mean, that's a big part of it. What I saw in the news after the after the show was uh, the the sheer amount left on the lease. So to break the lease, I mean, these guys are in. Typically, you're in like a ten year contract when you sign for a building like that, and so it was going to be billions of dollars. So it was going to cost them so much money that they backed out of it. Is Huge. what you're trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> they've returned or went back on their closing of all these showrooms. They had already closed about ten percent. Um, so some of, some of that 10% are going to reopen, but they're still under some sort of evaluation of about 20% of the buildings. So they, they're still going to close some, but they're going to leave the more high trafficked ones open is, is the, the main part of the story. The other thing that they also announced too, is that in, in an effort to keep these open, because that was a cost saving maneuver, they're also going to raise the prices of all their vehicles 3%. However, that excludes the base model, uh, model three so that they can continue to leave it at that 35k price point that they promised. Okay. So don't really have a whole lot more to uh talk about there. I'm a little surprised by this though, if I can be honest, because you would think that with so much money on the line that would have been something they considered with their legal team before they announced this publicly. That's uh the Elon way, man. You announce it and then you go. Yeah, you just put it's yeah, you put it on Twitter yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> The SEC is coming after him too. That's uh, that is not Tesla news that we're going to talk about. So that's I know you like the positive stuff. I understand this was kind of neutral territory for you, so I appreciate you. You know, it's not all positive all the time. Yeah. No, it's good stuff, dude. I think uh, that kind of covers up our follow up from last time and our show news. So I guess we'll just skip ahead, eh? All right. jumping in a little early today, but we're going to talk about our topic for discussion here, which is uh, really something that's uh, relevant for us personally here at the office and something I think a lot of companies deal with over time, but it's going to be about reorganizing a tech team or how you how you structure your tech team. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to dive into this because we were talking a few weeks ago about uh, some ideas you had after you came back from Denver. You were talking to some of the Denver folks about how we could be more collaborative and, and how we could uh, information share and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's been a bit of an interesting fact-finding, I guess you might say. So when I went to the Denver office, uh, I sat in with that team. and They have, uh, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven, seven or eight people, I think, sitting out there, maybe more than that. Just on their tech team. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. On the, on the team directly that I was working with or, or sitting in with. And it was, it was fascinating to watch them work because at, at the time, and I think that's still true today, although they are diverging, they were one cohesive unit. Yeah. All of them. It doesn't, you know, whereas the team that we work on here, you know, Mike's on a team currently, you could even say of one if you want to do his most recent project, but before that on a team of what, three? Yeah, pretty lean teams here. And that's always been the case because... Or a decent sized tech group, but we have a lot of area to cover. So we've always been spread a little thin. Right. Same goes for me. I'm on a team. I'm on one of the larger teams here. So if you count myself, I'm on a team of maybe five. Um, there's a couple other teams of twos or threes that exist as well in the organization. And as I, as I thought about it a lot, um, I was kind of trying to figure out ways that maybe we could, could combine some of these teams. And number one, increase throughput was the big one. Because currently we have so few bodies on a project that the projects just drag out and take a very long time. Whereas if you might have six or seven people on it, you could complete it in theory and maybe double the time or even maybe faster if all the people are a cohesive unit that have worked together. Right. Yeah. And we saw some early success with the acquisition of the Denver office a few years ago, like those guys coming in and being able and having previous experience helped. I mean, this was a team that um, I think they were all pretty familiar with each other to some degree, even though they weren't maybe all on the same project before, but there was already some cohesiveness there and some experience. And so when it came to uh, developing that new Greenfield project that we needed to have done in record time, uh, they were able to really put their heads down and focus and get shit done. Pretty exciting. Right. So I guess just to kind of give a, a broad idea of, of what I was proposing is basically taking the, I don't know, five various teams that we have currently now and potentially moving them into, say, one or well, sorry, two or three larger groups or teams um, and then spearheading those with with each type of 
um, resource that you may need, whether that be, you know, a PM, a manager, a tech lead, whatever the case might be. Um, just trying to make a couple of different teams. So basically talking about restructuring or re- reorganizing a group, a team. Um, so oh. it, it can apply even outside of tech, right? It doesn't matter. Just restructuring versus reorganization is the kind of the idea. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a really key distinction there. So w- when I started researching the topic a little bit more and looking for other uh, anecdotal things that other teams have done. Um, oh, it looks like Lexan joined. The uh, Slack channel there. Hey, hey, welcome. Out. That's my sister. Awesome, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. I here's the thing. Like, there's a big difference. So restructuring versus what they call reconfiguring. So restructure, reconfigure. It's both part of a reorg. There's a lot of reason there, but um, but a pretty big differential. So if you're going to restructure the team, it's really about um, the resources and the business activities, like how they're grouped, right? So you might say like. For all intents and purposes here, like we have kind of a three pillars of our business that we excel at. And those things would always kind of stay the same because that's what we're really great at. But we might just like shuffle around like the players and decide what group of people will be a part of um, a team and how they approach those three pillars, the work that those require. Um, not a, I mean, it's not as invasive. It still kind of shuffles up the tech team, but you still kind of keep the business intact in the business units. A reconfigure is, is a little bit uh, different. Um, this is where you're actually kind of like modifying the business units. And so it's like maybe rethinking about how you, how you retool the business. Um, and I know like Instagram went through like a really big shift back in 2015. Um, and, and the, these types and GE as well, like these are very big changes that that take years to really see the fruits of the labor because you're disrupting the entire organization. You're rethinking about how you like Microsoft, you think like when Satya came on and they went from the different divisions of labor that they had then to saying like, we're not just like the Windows team and the office team, like we're really going to be like products and services and we're going to be cloud and we're going to be these other things and like that is a much deeper impact on the org. So that's kind of the differential between a, a restructure versus a reconfigure. That's pretty, I can't imagine teams at GE or Microsoft or companies of that scale. Billions of dollars, right? Like these are massive, and employees, massive. Like the number of things that you're shuffling. Right, right, right. You know, it's even in the small example that we're using here internally, the number of people that we're dealing with and the different business units that are already catching wind of this, like I can't even imagine the scale that you're dealing with in those types of companies. Yeah. So I think like you have to first look at what, I mean, this is, this is obviously coming from the very upper echelons of the business is saying like, you know, what, what's missing out here and like, how could we be more efficient? How can we impact our, our top line, our bottom line? If we have gaps there, how can, what do we want to do? Do we want to really like restructure how we represent ourselves as an organization publicly, or do we just want to really kind of like retool on the inside? I think what, what you guys were talking about was kind of the latter, like more of like retooling just how the tech team operates and how nimble we can be on our feet because we're always going to have like those divisions of labor in the company, but how we get the work done, uh, there might be better ways to do that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's more of a... Um it's kind of a more of a work ingestion or a point of contact with the business that would change. The amount of work or throughput wouldn't necessarily change. There might be some impact up front, which is probably going to be your revenue lost, right? In a, in a larger organization, especially that would be very pronounced. But uh, the hope is that you come up with either two or three highly performing teams that gel really well together, that know each other, know how to develop applications together and stick together. So, then the next next you know they might there might be a period here in the next month or two months where it's a little bit slow and impacted that's to be expected but as you move down the road and now you've developed that application and now you develop the second application or whatever the product is you're developing or or producing you should be getting better at that and the the unit should become much more cohesive know what their role is and move forward at like a much more accelerated rate than than what you started with Absolutely. And I just want to call this out really quick. Like in my, um, I got distracted looking at the Slack channel and I kind of reversed the, the two, right? So like the restructure is the bigger business model. The pillars change. The reconfigure is really where you just like, 
how do we organize resources around the problem? And that's what we're talking about, the reconfigure. So I apologize for that. I was looking over here and got distracted and <laughs> kind of fumbled my words, but but the idea is still the same, right? He is drinking a few Coors Lights over there too, so. Well, I'm going to blame it on the fact that we don't have 12-ounce cans, only 16-ounce cans today, so I'm having a little more, I'm imbibing a little more than maybe I usually do. Kyle. You're lightweight these days. Well, I was doing some clean living, you know? I was doing some clean living when I got, <laughs> I was in Arizona last week and laying out on the, uh, you know, laying out at the spa and the pool and uh, yeah. So I think one of the really interesting things too that I've come to f- to realize, I guess, is initially when I pitched this as a as a possible solution, it was coming from a purely tech perspective, right? I looked at it from purely like a, a quantity of work that we could produce. How could we produce it better? How could we be more organized? Those sorts of things internally to the to the tech team or the teams that I work with day to day. And the thing that I'm starting to see now a lot more as I interact with folks from the business that are outside of our department or with uh, other layers of management or those types of things, I'm starting to see these other audiences and other perspectives of what it is that we're doing, right? Because now from a business perspective or a product owner's point of view, like I'm pulling away their resources, or at least that's the way they perceive it. Right. I'm pulling away their resources and or shuffling them up and re-causing people to kind of get up to speed with the work that they're trying to do. Um, At least that's a potential pitfall. Um, And so they're maybe resistant or hesitant immediately, right? They're immediately like, well, you're going to slow down my project. You're going to stop my productivity. You're going to kill revenue, whatever the case may be. Which immediately is probably accurate because, I mean, we went through this a few years ago as well where everybody kind of had a dedicated, we were very siloed. A few years ago, uh, even more so. I mean, we've gotten away from that, but that's how it was. And every everybody had their person kind of that you come down to and just, you know, talk to on the third floor and say, hey, I need this thing done. And, you know, screw the sprint and screw the backlog and the priorities. Like, this is what's important to me now. And we got a problem. We need to fix it. And that was a big shift. And I think we're kind of at another crossroads where this could be another big shift, too, if we go down this road. So the next part of it, too, that came up uh, in light is, again, me only focusing on the tech portion of it is the PM portion. So ingestion of work is something that I really didn't consider correctly or at all, for that matter, I'll be honest. Um, So we've had a lot of discussions over the past week of how do you take work from subject matter experts, for instance. So let's use like the the old... um, you know, recess example, right? You, you number off in one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, right? As you go down the line. Right. So let's say you split your team up in that way. In theory, maybe you have a pretty good mix of expertise from the products or things that you support on each team. Um, but what you're going to run into is that you've now taken away this team of subject matter experts. So now you have them spread across multiple teams. How do you direct the work? Who gets it? Right. So now you've got a new problem that you have to solve for. Or does it get spread between the two? Like it, there's just a, a number of questions that that as a tech person and kind of as a I guess uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Um, I basically just wasn't looking far enough outside to, to see the whole picture. And I see that there's a lot of complications, but I still think the, the idea itself is, is fairly solid. It's just a matter of how to execute it. Well, wouldn't, I mean, that's that's kind of the crux of our problem today, too, is that as we're growing, I mean, we're in a phase of rapid growth. You know, we had the acquisition happen. Now we're bringing on a lot of new hires, and we've got a lot of new projects that have been greenlit. And um, even though we're not siloed anymore, well, I kind of feel like we are. I feel like... I definitely feel we are. I mean, we used to be just... The silo before was like one or two guys. And I think now what's happening is that you're getting bigger teams because there's more people coming on board. But now we're being siloed within the group by function. So it's like, well, there's the reporting guys and the systems guys. And and so now like there's all these external dependencies on other teams, but they're they're focused on their efforts, you're focused on your efforts, and we're having this tug of war of like, well, my shit's important and if I don't have this happen, my goal's not gonna get hit. This is kind of what happened at the company level a few years ago. Now it's happening within the group. And so, yeah, I think we have this real crisis at our hands here where we only have so many people and everybody has their own goals and we're not really working together. It's it's there's a tension there that we have to figure out how to get how to manage. 
Yeah. And I think there's a certain number of things that you can complete as a team, which is one of the other things that, that really drove me to think, to, to, to propose this idea. And currently, because we have, you know, five, I don't, that may not be correct, but let's say we have five teams available. It's the business's assumption that we can manage five or more projects at any given time, which that's true. Uh, but they're going to be done at a much slower pace. And you may not get a, you know, you may not have an architect on your team. So building the project out in a useful and, and forward thinking way where it can be very um, scalable may not be implemented in the project correctly because you may not have that expertise on your team. Whereas if you had two very large teams, uh, you would have, in th- the idea would be that you'd have an architect on each team, you'd have a PM on it, you know, you'd have everything represented. And again, the team would be good enough to be able to gel together. Like I said earlier, I don't want to repeat myself, but gel together and, and move forward with the project in a very quick fashion. So number one, the velocity would go up. Number two, you would have hopefully the business being focused on more. We have these two projects running currently. We want to crank these bad boys out and move on to the next, right? Instead of dividing the the teams of two into their own teams of two or something like that. Right. So the idea also would be to get the business to be like focusing, getting their focus down to a needle point instead of this like kind of water hose that flows down. Yeah. And I think that's always going to be a challenge. Like, I don't think that's ever going to go away. I'm I'm sure that everybody can relate to that. You just, that's always going to be a pressure that exists there. I think, I think the project management's a really critical part of that though, because, um, I've seen the, the flip side of like even having a decent group of us, you said earlier, like, Oh, you're like on a team of three. Like really it's a team of like five guys. We got three developers, three slash four developers, but he's more in like an, um, a different role. I mean, he's really more overseeing what's going on, like tackling some of the bigger problems, uh, a couple other guys working with us there too. And I think what, what happens is that I've seen it go the other way where, um, you get a lot of group think or like group discussion going on. And all of a sudden, like where you had five minions working on work, now you've got five people just like sitting there looking at the wall going, I'm not sure what to do next. Or like, you know, we're kind of, looking to see what's happening and what we need to work on. And so I can see the flip side being a problem too. You got to, you have someone there that's always greasing the wheels, making sure that you're moving forward. I think, and that's been an important part of the conversation is, is, is again, the PM. And then we keep talking manager or tech lead, whatever that may look like. Um, because there is a, a very large piece of the pie there that needs to be considered. And that is the, the, the influx of work and making sure the sprints in, in tech terms, sprints, uh, the, the amount of work that you bring into a, a given period of time that you do work uh, can be completed and that there's enough for the people to continue working and not run out of stuff to do like you're mentioning. So I think that's a very important piece of the puzzle. So um, the next question really becomes like, okay, so now we decide we want to do this, right? You get yeah. buy-off from all the members. How do you implement it? How do you do it? How do you go forward? Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a crucial piece. I mean, we kind of introduced like those, those terms earlier, like the difference between like, is this something that just affects our group or is it a bigger company wide decision, um, or some kind of hybrid model? And I think that's, it just depends on your situation, your size and your ability, uh, your willingness for, I, I should say like your threshold, uh, for change. Right. So the, these things can be very costly, um, any kind of disruption. I mean, we talk about it all the time, right? Like we're bringing on what we have seven new guys coming on next Monday, right? <laughs> um, which is huge. It's going to be a high productivity day. I can tell you no shit. And I think that's, that gets lost uh, a lot of times in translation. Like, look, we've got these guys coming on. Well, therefore the business is saying, well, shit, this is awesome. We got seven guys. I mean, this hiring process only lasted like a month and a half. It was a very brief stint that we were in hiring and, I think it gets lost a lot of times like, well, great. Now we're going to be X times more productive. Like now these projects can cross the lines. Like, no, it's going to, it's going to slow us down. We're going to get slower. Um, and we're going to be doing a lot of handholding for a few months before we can really get these guys off on their own to know the systems, the internal, the institutional knowledge out there. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's another very good point to the whole team's re- the restructuring process for, for us. Because when I came on board, granted, we had a little period of growth there, but then we immediately crashed. Yeah, we did. So yeah. We lost a lot of we lost a lot of heads, and uh, 
we stayed pretty even for, for quite a while, for a year and a half, maybe something like that. And then the acquisition occurred and now we've got more headcount coming on again. Um, but that kind of begs the, the question of two, the restructuring, because now we've almost doubled in size as a tech department. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of like relooking at how it is you do work and how you decide who's on what teams and how you, you structure your, your people and that sort of thing. So I think this is a valid time to do that. Whether or not we go with that plan or not, it's still a valid um, exercise to make sure that that's something that we continue to evaluate yeah. over time. Well, I'll just throw my opinion out there because we've talked a little bit about this, but I think the the bottleneck right now is the dependency chain. Like we have so many dependencies on these projects. Um, I mean, like the big thing uh, in the last few days has been around like all these new things going on, all these new projects and like these not only new projects, but projects coming to completion. But they have certain requirements around, let's say, reporting. And now like our reporting team is pretty nimble and they're pretty new and they're trying to get a lot of shit done and they have their own goals. But everybody's flooding in at the last minute because it wasn't something that was thought out in the beginning. It wasn't thought out a year or two ago. It's kind of like, well, we just assumed, of course, naturally we have to have reporting for our applications. Right. So I need this. Like, I can't go live until this is done. And and um, like they're slammed. I mean, they're and there's only a few people that can handle all these requests. So to that end, I think it makes sense to have an embedded resource in some cases on each of these teams so that it's like, look, they might have their own goals and their own group, but you've got your team that can kind of handle all these things uh, to move it along forward. Because like there's at least one person that's on the team that cares about reporting. That's their main goal. And they're here to support you on that. Yeah. So I think in our case, at least how to do it, I, I don't know that we can say exactly how it's going to go. I can't give out any kind of like, this is exactly how it goes. But as far as what we're doing currently, it's a lot of discussion. So currently we have four or five players in, in the in the meetings and we're discussing all the different various facets of uh, how this could work and who the players are and who the business stakeholders are and how they would respond to what we're doing and just trying to make sure that we've got all the different things covered so that if we do go forward with it, like we've covered all the bases, we know how to respond when the business comes in and says, hey, what the hell? You're going to stop production. You're going to kill revenue, yada, yada, yada. We have answers for all these things. Um, and that's the point that we're at currently. So we're still trying to develop all this, develop the idea, develop what it is that we want to do because it may change. It may be three teams. It may be two teams. It may be one yeah. team. Who knows? Um, so it's still being discussed. So we're still moving forward through that phase. Um, and but then the next, go ahead. It seems like distributing these things though has its benefits. And I'm going back old school. Like when you and I were at, you know, uh, TNMC back in Omaha. Back the in Nebraska the Medical Center. Yeah. The one and only man. Extraordinary. What was it? Extraordinary Serious care. medicine. Extraordinary, extraordinary care. care. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a, it's like a Grey's Anatomy episode. Um, but no, like I, I, I remember those days too. And like we were, you and I were kind of the outliers. We were kind of the, you know, the redheaded stepchild like working in marketing because we had a pretty hefty IT staff, like a core systems group and a lot of internal guys that were there for a long time. And you and I were like the, the web, the web masters, the web guys that were working on the marketing team. And there was, it wasn't ideal. I wouldn't want to go back to that again because I mean, it was really difficult to manage those relationships, but in a similar fashion though, like they didn't have time or concern or care for those things, but it was important to the organization. And so having us there was absolutely critical. And I think over time we established those relationships to where like we got more trust and we got more things. It's like, okay, you know what? Like not everything has to go through this central pipeline. We know you guys now you're over there. We're over here, but we can still get stuff done and, and work together and have a good synergy and get things moving. I think we, yeah, to, to that point, I think we kind of, although we continue to report to marketing, we kind of made ourselves part of the IT team. And, and like you said, made relationships and inroads that made it made us to, able to be effective uh, by getting some of the roadblocks knocked down that we needed to do. Some of, the, some of the basic things that we had to do in our day-to-day -day work that we were pretty hamstrung on. So I think that was a good exercise. It was a good learning experience on how to build bridges in that way, yeah. you know, from a business standpoint. Um, a little different because it was cross team. I mean, like this discussion is really about how you organize your team. Right. I mean, that was, that was a bigger example. I mean, these guys were at that point, like 5,500 employees, I think. And yeah, like just, there was a lot of needs coming from all around the company and only a finite amount of resources to accomplish that. And so that was one way that they did it was, 
kind of a division of labor saying like, look, we're going to have the marketing group, but they're going to go to IT, kind of a dotted line kind of thing, go to IT and figure out what you need. And, and you guys are the technical people, figure it out. So there's some examples of like how it's been done or maybe how you could do it. But then the, qu- the next question is like, when, when, when is a good time? Oh, is, sure. is there a good time? Is that, is there such a thing? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's never a good time. It's kind of like addressing technical debt, you know, like that's always a sexy <laughs> thing that we tech people really fantasize about is like that one day that we just get like weeks to work on technical debt, but there's never a good time because you hit the goal and there's always another goal, right? That's exactly right. And in, in our scenario, the, the quote wizard scenario that we've been talking about, that the ideal time that I've been pitching is the wrap up of these two major projects that are going to kind of come together supposedly at about the same time, middle of the year, maybe. Um, and I have uh, spoken that that may be a, a pretty key time because there's going to be a, a fair number of our engineers that are going to become free or maybe moving to other projects in theory, whatever the case may be. But a, a good number of the resources will become free at that time. So that'd be a good time to kind of restructure, reorg, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then anything, those two projects would become maintenance or new features from there. They've been effectively wholesale rebuilt. Right. So, yeah, we've done a lot of um, wholesale cleanup over the last two and a half years. And, and a lot of legacy applications and a lot of the monoliths have been destroyed and new things are happening. Um, but the reality is that project ends, but it's really just beginning. It's just the starting point, and now you've got maintenance. I mean, one way that that's commonly done is that's how you bring guys up through the ranks, right? Like, you kind of have your senior guys that know all the institutional knowledge. Like, they're they're really there to make sure that that app is successful or that uh, – rewrite is successful and then the junior guys kind of come up and they get to learn the system and it's nice because they're not under the same scrutiny that you would be as as the engineer that's been there for eight years or whatever but you learn that thing and And you build up that's one of the things that we're trying to promote too i guess it should be said is is we have a lot of new faces young faces uh but even the guys that have been here for a very long time are really interested in learning other projects, learning other things, learning from other people, learning new technologies, whatever the case might be. So having them in a small team kind of siloed on their own specific project and having to work on that for months, years, in some cases, they're getting tired of it, which is understandable. So the multi-team approach or the two team or maybe even three gives them the opportunity. Let me crack that beer for you there, buddy. Oh, thank you so much. I was getting a little dry. (laughs) Uh, gives them the opportunity to work on other things other than the thing that they have institutional knowledge on. Yeah. They still can work on those tickets. Those tickets will still come in to their queue and they can pick them up if they want to, but they can also share that knowledge now with other team members or the other team members can work on it directly and figure it out for themselves. So it just distributes the learning capabilities and, and makes the engineers more happy overall. Yeah. I think that's a critical point to touch on that we really haven't talked a whole lot about is just that, like, if you're doing this day in and day out now, you know, I've been doing this for what, 20 plus years, you as well and across different industries. So we were in healthcare in the early stages, you know, and did a few different things uh, before we got here. And I think the the problems are the same, Uh, how you solve them gets a little bit different, but it, it doesn't matter if you're in manufacturing or healthcare or, you know, Uh, lead arbitrage or whatever like you're still trying to solve scalability you're still trying to solve and so i think that's the interesting part is that you know if you're a middle tier guy if you're a full stack developer stuck in middle tier for three years like you got to get out of there because i i've been out of css for three years i mean it's it's a whole different landscape than it was when i started so um i think that's probably one of the more compelling reasons why you want to have at least a a reconfigure or at least reshuffle the teams is like, okay, information knowledge is important. And you want to keep that out of one guy's head all the time. But also too, you've got this talent pool. Like these guys know what they're doing on a lot of different levels. And if you're just stuck in one little groove, um, you're going to get rusty on the other end. And it's, it's kind of monotonous. Like you get to a point where it's like, yeah, I, I know the middle tier. I've got to handle logging and I've got to handle this exception handling and I've got to make sure that we can, uh, you know, ramp up. Like it, it gets really old. And so I think there's lots of uh, benefits from keeping it fresh. You keep your guys happy. You're getting new people in. You're um, mixing up the knowledge and the collaboration piece too. You're learning new things. So as we bring people on and they've had experience with different technologies, like that information gets shared as well. So a big win for me. 
And I think the last point that I have here, I think on this topic that is probably important one is I don't think that anything that we've discussed here, especially in terms of our company was any fault of anybody. It wasn't the fault of anyone here. Um, it's, I think it's a natural progression of a company as it continues to build on itself. Right. So like you have the people that you have here that have been here a very long time, they become domain knowledge holders in those areas for reason, because you needed the speed you needed, you needed them to just work the thing that you have built. They built the whole thing. So it's, it's logical to have it go directly to them and to continue, continue to operate in that manner for a period of time. Yeah. But at some point you do need to share that knowledge and distribute it out because people are going to leave. People are going to find other things or retire or whatever the case may be. So the knowledge does need to be distributed and how you do that, I think is where you start to get into these restructuring conversations that are important. And I think they need to happen at some kind of regular cadence, whatever that cadence may be. Uh, that's up for debate, but. Well, I'll say this too. It's like, I think it's good to have tough discussions with leadership and with the rest of the group. Um, nobody wants to hear that the project is three months going to be three months out from the due date. Um, but I think there's a good reason sometimes for that. And when you can explain what that is, um, they probably still don't like it. But, I mean, I think we've had a pretty good history here as of late of uh, saying, look, you're not going to like this now. It's tough news, but this is reality. And, and here's what we're going to get out of it. And then six months down the road, boom. I mean, nobody wanted to get off of a rack space um, when we, you know, when we went to, to the cloud. Um, there's nothing sexy about that. It's not going to make us more money right away. It's, it's not going to give us more leads or subscribers, but it's like, look, if we don't do it, the cost of not doing it is going to be pretty detrimental. So I don't like that argument because I think it's really easy to be doom and gloom, but I think there's a reality there that you have to be honest too and just say, look, like these are things we need to do to adapt and grow. And even though it means that your priorities might be put on hold a little bit longer, like we can demonstrate value on the back end because we're going to be that much more nimble and that much um, uh, quicker on the response once we're gelling together as a, as a new group. I do hope we can make a lot more of those arguments that you just discussed because we've made lots of the arguments that you've made before that, uh, basically saying like, hey, if you don't do X, the whole system's fallen over type of thing. Like we've made a ton of those arguments over the past, I don't know, year and a half. Luckily, right. we're starting to get away from that to where we've built away from those kinds of very monolithic and uh, fragile systems. So that's very good. But yeah, I hope we can have more of those conversations that you were that you were discussing and, and a much more collaborative team, much more uh, spread of knowledge. I um, think I think it's also a factor of trust, too, because there is a big disconnect between um, your, you know, the nerds in the closet, so to speak, like doing the day to day. And the guys upstairs. And I think like they're, that's really something we have to bridge the gap on because like I under, I think the best um, people around here like understand a little bit of both. They understand we're not just, we're going to go so crazy on the technical stuff and not care about the business needs. And on the flip side, we're not going to just be all about top line and ignore what these guys are saying. Like if we have a good marriage there and a good trust relationship there, then it should be like a give and take. It's like, well we're going to compromise on this and it's going to be difficult, but you're going to win some, we're going to win some. And yeah, we're not going to get everything we want, but it's going to pay off at the end of the day. And we're doing great work right now. So, yep. So restructure, not restructure. We'll find out TBD. We'll uh, continue to fill you in as we uh, move along. Cause we need to move along. I wish we had more time to talk about it. Cause I'm feel like I'm just getting warmed up here, man. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. All right. Let's move along. Huh? In the news today. So, yeah, <laughs> this is funny, man. Like, I mean, this is like the tech guy's lifeline here, like LaCroix. We're talking about LaCroix. Is that how it said LaCroix? LaCroix. La I mean, I, I would joke. LaCroix. 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 Do we have anybody like who's your you have some family in France? We should call them up and see what they think <laughs> it's called. Is it actually French? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it probably means it's like it's like those Chinese tattoos that you yeah. get that means like dick or something like <laughs> you think you think that it means something really like inspirational, you know, live life to the fullest. It just means like dirty says I'm an or asshole something. or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, like there was a big uh, <laughs> there was a lot going on in the news last week since the last show about LaCroix. Um, 
sparkling water because, yeah, their quarterly sales took a big nosedive. And they've been on the up and up for like five years now. I mean, they've been killing it. And It's everywhere. You see, it's everywhere. If it's you like, work in tech, like this stuff is stocked in every tech department yeah, ever. I'm pretty sure that like all the major, like the Fang group and everybody, like we're all fueled by LaCroix. So what is it? Like if it, I don't drink it because I don't really like it, but explain what actually LaCroix is. If it's you don't. water with fucking carbonation in it. It's Flavored water with carbonation. Yeah. Natural flavorings, apparently. We'll see. I mean, that's kind of being debated right now or not, but... <laughs> But yeah, it's, you know, you get a little 12 ounce can of water with a little lime or pamplemousse. <laughs> Sorry, what? Did you sneeze? Grapefruit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was something I was just going to bring up, but I lost it. All right, continue. Shit. So yeah, like, I mean, this has been kind of a staple in, in, in the, um, I think everywhere. I mean, everybody loves this stuff, but like, we really enjoy the shit out of it here at the office and we enjoy it in, in tech, man. It's like, we're going to get away from these sugary sodas and so we have a LaCroix it's I know what I was gonna say is it's the other thing I think that's really uh, endeared itself is that it's dirt cheap like you can get a 12 pack of this stuff for what two bucks it used to be that way it's not anymore I mean when I see it now it's like five or six bucks a 12 oh, okay. pack. Well, I maybe it's part of the problem maybe that's why their stock is crashing yeah I think that's part of the problem I mean the so their stock took a nosedive there's a few things going on right now like, there's 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 competition coming in from you know, the major players. So you've got your Pepsi and Coca-Cola are coming in. Um, I don't know if you've had Topo Chico. I have actually, but only in Texas. Is that available up here? It is. I ordered some on Amazon Prime now, like last week. I use that for my vodka sodas. You were talking about this. You did a little uh, taste tester sampling of uh, what kind of soda water you liked, and uh, that was the one you came up with. That might be a good topic for next week because we might have somebody who's very into brewing on the show next week. So that's a little deep tease. What kind of tease? Deep. Oh, deep. Deep, deep tease. Okay. Yeah. No, I. <clears throat> it it's interesting. Yeah, like that. I was researching like different carbonation levels. Blah blah blah. Topo Chico, lots of carbon bubbles. Very bubbly. Very good. Um, no, like the big controversy though comes from the CEO. So, I mean, they, they hit a big miss. There was a report that came out last like Q3, Q4 that talked about, um, what was in the, the, the water you asked if it was natural and there was some claims that it was like not as natural as they said it was going to be. Wasn't there like rat shit in it or something? Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> Maybe I blocked that part out. <laughs> But it was, it was pretty bad. He he didn't say it had anything to do with. Um, I mean, they were. He was very quick not to take uh, responsibility personally. Here's here's a quote he says here, quoting uh, um, CEO uh, Nick Caparella. He goes, "Managing quote managing a brand is not so different from caring for someone who becomes handicapped. This isn't going to be good." <laughs> this guy. Uh this guy, uh, Elon Musk, what's going on here? He doesn't know the Twitter yet, thank God. Otherwise, they'd probably be out of business. Like, I think <laughs> otherwise, Bubbly would be dominating the fucking Bubbly market. Um, but he goes, brands do not see or hear, so they are at the mercy of their owners or care providers who must preserve the dignity and special character that the brand exemplifies. Wow. Wowza. Yeah, you can't say that as a CEO. Like, you can't say that as anybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just... Bad in so many different ways. Um, their brand identity has suffered, though, in the last couple quarters, and it was because of just, like, the contents of, of what was in the, in the um, water. I know for me, too, like, I've, I used to, like, a year ago, I was just, like, sucking that stuff down like it was going out of style, and then there was some reports coming out that it wasn't natural, and there was some, um, you know, things they were doing there that weren't as healthy, and so, yeah, I shifted away from it, and then it was obviously, like, a very competitive market, so you got bubbly from Pepsi and you've got uh, Topo Chico coming from Coke. And so a lot of other guys had an opportunity to cap, you know, capture some, some market share there and they did. So, yeah. So the big, the big crux of that problem, which happened what maybe six months ago it was or yeah. a little longer than that was that the, the claims on their, their can or marketing materials were that, were that they were all natural, like you mentioned, um, and that they, it, the suit came against them that they were uh, putting in, non-natural or synthetic ingredients. So that pissed off a lot of people and got, got them in a little bit of trouble. Turns out 
it seems that's not the case, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely caught a lot of flack for that. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too. It's like an easy attack on typical consumer drinks, right? You look at the back of a can of LaCroix, and you see zeros on the nutrition facts, like all the way down. Like, no sodium, no carbohydrates, no da 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 and so they're probably figuring, hey, man, if we can like squeeze a little bit of that in there, too, it makes our numbers look a little better. And I mean, what's the price of water? Fuck, you can get like 13,000 gallons of water for like a couple bucks. They just pump a little carbon in there. A little bit of flavoring, a couple drops of flavor. A couple drops. I mean, that can't be that expensive. A couple drops of flavor. And all of a sudden, shit, like now it's 450 a 12-pack. <laughs> That's quite a 50% increase pretty much. A little little less maybe. I don't think 40%. there's a better like I can't think of a better margin market than sparkling well, water. <laughs> right? And I buy the shit. Like I'm not trying to say that like people are fools. Like I'm I'm a fool too for buying this shit, but I do all the time. I mean, I don't blame you. Like it's a better option than soda. Yeah. You know, you could be drinking 120 calorie cans of soda just tapping yeah. them back. Yeah, exactly. So I think yeah, I agree. It's it's been good, um, but yeah, it's, you know that it's a concern. They had, I mean, this thing is a multi-billion-dollar market, and uh, he wasn't doing exactly a whole lot of brand justice last week. The injustice was him <laughs> getting up and speaking last week. I think. Yeah, it sounds like uh, much like the uh, Tesla CEO, they might want to shut him up publicly. They need to they need to get together like they need to get these guys in a cigar room with some scotch and just figure out how to um, keep it quiet, keep their keep their thoughts and feelings to themselves a little bit more. Yeah. Speaking of Tesla, buddy, I got more Tesla news. God damn it. I knew there was going to be another thing there. Tesla's third generation supercharger is announced. No, you can't use them anywhere. They don't exist. Where can I? But they're announced. Oh, they're announced. Well, you can't get them. You have to drive to them and use them at the lot that they're assigned. It's like your gas station. But they closed all the lots. So where do we go now? No, the the charging stations are all available. They didn't oh. charge any of the, or close any of those. Oh, okay. Well, this is really cool. Tesla created this was actually announced like hours after our last show. Uh, they announced their third generation supercharger. So what that means is that this charger can charge your Tesla, any Tesla. Uh, much, much, much faster, as much as 50% faster than was previously available. This is very cool because it's the same, um, well, it's not the same technology, but it's like, it's not requiring like a major redo of the infrastructure. Like you've, you can just like replace one with the supercharger three and boom, huge, huge increase in efficiency there. Exactly. And the other thing that, that frustrated a lot of Tesla users. So like the way that this works, if you're not familiar with, charging your vehicle as a Tesla owner, like they have these lots that are dedicated all over the United States. They're everywhere. You just don't see them usually. But there's a number of these supercharger stations. Just think of them almost like a gas pump. And you back into them and you plug in for a matter of, you know, it might be now. You might have to be there for an hour to get nearly a full charge, let's say. What do you do? Do you go inside and get coffee? Do they have Krispy Kremes? Like, how does that work? It's kind of interesting because... When you are driving to the supercharger station, they show it on your map in in the vehicle, and it'll say also that things that are nearby, so that you can walk to them. Right? If you can, yeah. hear, there's the uh, you know Applebee's is nearby or the whatever, yeah, whatever business uh, happens to be there. So they'll give you some options of what you might be able to go do. Some of them are you know at a hotel or something, so it's not like you're going to do anything. You're just going to sit there and wait. Um, but uh, the point that I was trying to make is that. Before, if, if you had a, let's say you had a lot of 12 superchargers, right? You have, in theory, have a capacity of 12 cars that can charge at any given time. Problem is the supercharger V2s divided power amongst all 12 vehicles, or at least banks of two. So if you had another car on the other side of you that was charging next to you, you might, you might have your power degraded by XYZ percent. So you're not getting the full power of the supercharger as if the lot was empty. If wow. that makes sense. Yeah. So these version three ones don't have that problem. Uh, it doesn't matter how many people are in the lot. They, they can deliver the same amount of power regardless, which is huge. That's a big deal, especially in like busy cities like Seattle. There's one in Issaquah, for instance, uh, that has quite a number of different stalls. And, and that'll be really important for them. Because there's not a lot of these things yet. I mean, they are they do have good coverage coast to coast uh, along the interstate system, but there's not like so many that you don't care. You want to get in and get out and then get more people through these things. And this allows you to do that. And that's exactly what they're trying to do with these. That's why they announced them. They're, they're basically saying that, okay, at this point, we've sold 
a lot of vehicles in the electric arena, we need to increase capacity of charging abilities for people that are taking road trips and being on the road because you need to be able to get more vehicles into the charging lot in less time. So this thing, I think, I I can't see the stats on here now. I don't know where they went, but it it, it can charge, I want to say... 70 miles in five minutes or 75 you're close i was going to test you on that but you're pretty (laughs) damn good about that Uh, so that's crazy that's they actually show a video that's pretty pretty fun to watch because it's literally just a picture of the dash of the model three and it's it shows the screen that you see when you're connected to the supercharger and it just shows the, the the mileage ticking up just tick 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 as it's charging and showing you how much miles you've accrued as the battery charges and it's pretty fast it's pretty amazing and if you do the math on that, by the way, that's about a thousand miles per hour. That's crazy. That's fucking like ludicrous mode to the max. That's crazy, dude. That's really exciting. Like that's that's why we bought into Tesla. That's why we're excited about Tesla. You're bullish on Tesla. Like that's yeah. this is the future and it's like happening right now, which is really fucking cool. Yeah. Very awesome news from them. Um yeah. No, it I give you shit about the Tesla news, but that was a good one. Thank you for bringing that up. Please don't bring any up next time. Oh, there'll be more Tesla news for sure. There's always Tesla news to talk about. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, well, that's probably it for uh, episode number 27. Did we really hit the hour already? We hit the hour. Oh, man. We're a little early. Maybe Coors three Light. minutes. Oh, man. Well, let me crack you another one. One more. The Coffee Code Cast is recorded live from Seattle, Washington every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us live and chat with us while we record on our Slack channel. For more information, visit www.coffeecodecast.com slash live. Our artwork is provided by Yerne, the gentle giant. You can see more of his wonderful and whimsical illustrations at coffeecodecast.com slash gentle giant. If you have an idea for the show or want to comment on something we talked about today, you can reach out on Twitter at coffeecodecast. We're also available via email at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. The podcast is available from iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can find us, find all this and more on our website at www.coffeecodecast.com. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, please share us. Put us out on Facebook, Twitter. Let or us talk shit. If you don't like us, let's hear about it. I just want to get some feedback. I'm willing to hear talking shit. Yeah, bring it on. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>